Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the Wild Ones podcast. Francis is away this week, so instead, I'm Jimmy, and I'm joined by pro bike mechanic Nick from Backyard Bike Shop. Good morning, Nick. Morning, Jimmy. How are you? Not bad yourself. Been busy, new bike shop being built, but but good, yeah, yeah. You're building a new bike shop? Yes. Why is that? Because Tyne Bridge is getting redone, so we have to move. Oh, okay. But much nicer, much bigger, more space. You did show me, it's like three times the size. Yes. New workshop, new tool wall. So yeah, exciting stuff happening. <laughs> new tool yeah. wall. New t- that's the only thing I'm excited <laughs> about, tools. So today we are going to have an episode without Francis, and a lot of the theme in this one is stuff that Nick has special interest or knowledge on. Supposedly. And the first thing we're going to discuss, which has been all over the news over the last couple of weeks, is the Shimano crank disaster. So if you haven't heard, Shimano has announced a worldwide recall of 11-speed Ultegra and Durace crank sets, and it's believed to impact about 2.8 million cranks worldwide, which is an astronomical number of cranks. So what's actually happened to affect these cranks. So the crank arms on the drive side and the non-drive side have separated and delaminated, causing them to split and sometimes snap off completely. Have you had people coming in with this in the shop? Yes, before this recall, we've seen a few bikes coming in where they've had creaks and you just can't tell where the creak's coming from. And then going through all the, the usual stuff, bottom brackets, seat posts, all the different things, then essentially just seeing the inside of the crank arms cracked. Uh, we've not seen one snap completely, but we have seen them come apart. I think about four, four or five during the pandemic mostly. So yeah, I don't know how those poor people had to buy new ones. Yeah. Pay out of their pockets. So pretty, I don't know if there's anything getting the money back now. Well, I doubt it because the crank says would have gone in the bin and there's no real proof. Actually, um, I know a guy in London. Uh, I used to call him uh, Rory the Viking. He's an absolute monster of a bike rider. He's done like TCR. You know, he's he's yeah. just a monster. And he would snap a crank like a couple of times a year. Um, and I, he'd always end up posting it on social, a picture of his broken crank. And every time I would message him and go, too much power. But actually it turns out it's Shimano. I don't Shimano. think power actually has an impact on it. 
because we've seen it, it's got to do with corrosion. Oh, is it? So how you wash your stuff, you've got more salt in your... Um, some bike wash products out there use salt. Or is that a trace amount of salt in it? Also, if you've ridden the bike, not wash it afterwards, and the alloy... It grows. Yeah. And um, we should say it's believed to impact 2.8 million cranks, but it's not saying that every single crank will definitely fail. So it affects models that are sold between June 2012 and June 2019. Shimano has provided a list of affected models, um, which we can put in the link for the description if anyone's concerned and they want to check. It's going to be more of a problem in people that live in wet, high humidity countries. Um, or places closer to the coast, uh, sea salt and things like that. Road salt, if you, like, over here in winter, they salt the roads uh, for cars to not slip all over the ice. Um, it's called galvanic corrosion, which I think is the main cause of this. Obviously, then, if it starts corroding and you have massive power, like Mr. Viking or Mr. Rory the Viking. Rory the Viking, um, yes, probably snap. But for a lot of people, it will still crack even if you don't put out tons of power. So Shimano launched um, an inspection program officially in the UK this week where bike shops are now advising cyclists with one of the affected models to stop riding the crank completely and authorised Shimano dealers, of which you are one, Nick, yes. are being told that they need to do an inspection of cranks for free for any signs of damage and replace them free of charge for customers. Yeah, uh, as far as I know, obviously they've just sent us some paperwork for it. It's free to the customer. Bike shops will get reimbursed for 45 minutes worth of work or labor. I think it comes to about 36 pounds to inspect the cranks and see if there's any visible problems or damage you can see. Um, if there is, uh, we send the crank set back. They send a new one out for the customer, um, which I don't know what the numbers are. You talk about 2 million affected. Um, 2.8. Sorry, 2.8 million affected. If this becomes hundreds of thousands of crank sets, where are they going to find these crank sets? I mean, this is going to be a pandemic level problem again because production. It's 12-speed cranksets they're using, but they're still selling 12-speed group sets. Where are they getting the spare cranks from? So can they put a 12-speed, can they replace 11-speed crankset with a 12-speed crankset? That's apparently what's happening with rings that are compatible with 11-speed group sets. Right, okay. So I don't know if it's the same rings working or different ones. Uh, We don't have a lot of info just yet. I think the actual inspection program starts today. And also, I don't know what happens... If you have it inspected, it's all fine. And then two weeks down the line or this winter it breaks. But I'm, I'm assuming Shimano is a reputable company. Well, this assumption, but I'm assuming they'll still just have it inspected again if it starts making noise. But yeah, it's a bit of a, I don't know. We, we just don't know. I, I think it's quite interesting that, um, I, gu- I guess it's, you know, very early in this information coming out. But like when we first asked you about it, you hadn't received any information. The first proper information I received was actually an email from Sigma Sports, which is a massive UK-based retail bike retailer because I'd bought a, a bike from them probably seven years ago, six years ago, which would, which, is, which would have had a crank on it that now needs replacing. And even that email was kind of like, stop riding your bike. There's going to be a recall. Here's a hotline number for Shimano. We'll see what happens. There's a lot of people now all over the world which are going like well what does this mean for me do i have to stop riding it is, uh, is it safe is it not safe i think it's a difficult one th- america is obviously the one that started they've got a recall in america um and that's i don't know i assume it's legalities uh obviously pure assumption but I, i'm assuming somebody must have taken legal action 
against him because there's a guy on um, Instagram, thanks Shimano, at thanks Shimano, and he's been going on about it for five years about these crankshafts coming apart. We've all known about his bike shops, but Shimano just said it's not our problem. And I think somebody in America has now made it their problem. And that's escalated. Now Europe and the rest of the world are following suit saying, well, if you're doing it over there, surely it needs to be done over here. But it's a difficult one. I mean, I feel sorry for them because that's a 2.8 million crankshafts involved is a, that's a lot of crankshafts. Mm-hmm. The, the, the production, it's just a level of recall that we haven't seen in the cycling industry before. There's been loads of other recalls, but nothing that affects almost everybody in the sector. Yeah. They, they must be confident that a lot of them aren't going to need replacing. That's what it must be, yeah. surely. That they they're going to spend a lot of money getting bike shops to check them, and actually they're going to be fine. It's just, yeah, it's just it's a nightmare all around. It was interesting. We were looking this morning. So Madison is the UK distributor for Shimano, and that's who you would deal with, isn't yes. it, Nick? They sent out like a press release, didn't they, to all bike shops, which was kind of outlining what this inspection would be. And I thought it would be more technical than it is. It's basically a visual inspection yeah. of both sides of the cranks, and then listening out for a creaking noise which we can, we can play that noise now. Well, they, they've given an audio example yes. of the creaking. But how do you produce the creak? By, by just pedaling the bike. Just pedaling the bike produces the creak. So this right. is it. Uh, this sounds crazy, but if, if you've been a bike mechanic for long enough, um, identifying creaks is a whole thing of you, you do the... The basic things, bottom bracket is what people always look at first, and then headsets, and you look at seat posts, saddle rails, you look at quick-release skewers through axles, then looking at hubs. There's several things, handlebars, you can kind of flex. But bizarrely, with quite a lot of bikes now, when I ride them, I can almost kind of, it's different sounds. So mechanics that have done it for quite a while and seen quite a few bikes, yeah, that, that is bizarrely actually quite helpful. People laugh at it, but it's they, they, different clicking sounds generally means different things. You can do stuff like standing out of the saddle, pedaling with one leg, freewheeling, and just sitting on the saddle, try and see on handlebars to kind of eliminate where the creek can come from. That, but that sounds like a bike that's not been indexed properly. It does, yeah, yeah. It's a similar thing. But then, obviously, that will show you that that's not a normal bottom bracket creek. So that's something is... Yeah, you would know. It, that, almost, it, indexed, it almost sounds like the crank says flexing over there. Because every time that'll go, it'll, it'll ping through the chain. It's a minefield. It's just not an ideal situation. It is a minefield, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? Yeah. But their official advice is stop riding immediately. I think uh, what happens, so all the home mechanics that are out there, that people that have done their own stuff, bought stuff online, they are still going to have to go to an authorised dealer, but presumably the authorised dealer is being paid, what was it, £35, 36 quid. So there is at least a financial incentive for them to... Yeah, without the financial incentive, they wouldn't have done it. Well, yeah, because otherwise you'd be working for free. Free, yeah, for essentially stuff sold by, because, for instance, you got yours from Sigma, but you're not going to drive down to London to have your bike inspected, you're going to have to bring it to another bike shop. Yeah. Because they would have sold online far and wide. Mm-hmm. Um, there'd be people buying abroad from Wiggles and Chain Reactions that's going to be affected by it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I once had a Cannondale Cad X a long time ago. It was my first cyclocross bike, which I actually raced. And they had a recall on the forks. God, it must have been four, maybe five years yeah, ago now. I remember that. And I... And I distinctly remember that so that so they basically i can't remember what the issue was basically the forks had to be it was a similar thing in that it was like your bike is not safe you should not ride it 
you would take it to an authorized dealer of Cannondale's uh, and they would pretty much just replace it straight away. Um, they didn't have stock of them straight away though. It was relatively quick though. Okay. It, it wasn't like a, it wasn't, it didn't take ages. It wasn't yeah, a big yeah. deal. Um, it was a slightly different design, which wasn't quite as, well, actually, no, it was, it was fine. But I remember talking to the guy in the bike shop. It was actually Max from uh, Lewis, what were they called? Cycler, cyclery, Lewisham Cyclery. Yes, I think I know which one you're talking about. They just opened back then as well. It were, yeah, yeah, they were quite shop, new then. Yeah, yeah. And I think there was, there was a thing where Cannondale basically said to the bike shops, send us a picture of, of the destroyed crank. So basically get it off the bike, destroy it, and we will give you X amount of money to cover all of the costs. Yeah. I thought it was a great way of doing it because it was a really definite financial incentive for all bike shops, even indies and smalls, to basically like... A de- a, you know, doing the recall and getting them replaced and off the road. It's a difficult one though because that does work. But uh, I remember that there's different recalls where, so for instance, we've had not recalls, but I've had a customer who's had a one of those extendable Canyon handlebars. Extendable. Uh, oh, the, yes. The bars are like yeah, a you wide can and narrow. The yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And his was cracked. So the first one came in and they authorized. I think it was a oh, don't quote me on the amount, but 135 pounds that you were getting for doing the labor, but the routing it through and all the stuff, it, it just wasn't enough money for how big the job was. The next one got cracked as well. So they sent another one. And that at that point we were like, no, we're just not taking it on. So as long as the, this is a good thing about Shimano one, I think 36 pounds is reasonable and fair to all bike shops. There's probably more than what some bike shops would charge. So that's it. As long as recall money turns into it's, it's a fair amount they're paying the shops to do the work. And they actually pay it. Yeah, and they actually pay it. And straight, quickly, because some shops don't have yeah, the cash yeah. flow to, to wait months and months and months for the money to come in. Yeah, especially, um, you know, there, yeah. there might be a shop which has to deal with 50 of these, 100 exactly, of these. Exactly, yeah, yeah. In which case, that's Workshop stopped. They haven't done anything else. What they haven't said at this point is, if you have a broken crank, they haven't said how long it'll be before you get a replacement. A thing that they're doing different from that. So Cannondale didn't want you to send the fork back to them. They just wanted to prove you destroyed it. Mm -hmm. Whereas Shimano want bike sellers Uh like you, um, authorized dealers to take those destroyed cranks, ship them back to them. They'll cover the shipping and then they'll send you a new one. So they are not risking those things being around at all. They're mopping up all of them and taking them back. And they haven't said to you, They've said to you you'll be paid £36 for the inspection, but they haven't said if you'll be paid for the to fit in reinstallation. Because yeah, it's, it's, it'll be two separate jobs. You're not going to do it on one day while it's out. I mean, some shops are going to have to keep the bikes. Do you keep them for, I mean, how much storage space do you have? Do you send it back with the customer who has to go home and then come back in when it's in stock? Um, uh, it's yeah. a logistical nightmare for a shop, is. isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. you can, I mean, in theory, I would say some people are going to say, oh, can we just get our money back for the crank says? But that would financially harm Shimano a lot more because surely it costs them less to supply a chainset than it is what they sell it for. And, and if you have to send the crank back and then they then send you a new one, you're not even, you know, you're not going to use live stock that you've got then either. So there's definitely like a holding no. time, isn't there? I guess the question is, will this affect consumer trust in Shimano brand going forward? And that really depends on how this actually all plays out, doesn't it? Yeah, I think they need to be quick. They need they need to be a, to, they need to be turning this around in the next couple of weeks, but then which is say, not going to happen. If you say quick, I mean this happened five years ago. Well, well this part of it didn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess the 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 well, they've they've definitely fixed the issue though. 
because it's only cranks up to 2019. Yeah. yeah, but starting from 2012, I think there'll be a lot of very angry people who have probably had these cranks. I saw there was reports of people whose crank had broken a couple of years ago. They went to the bike shop and they were told that the warrant, I think as standard Shimano has a two-year warranty on its parts. Wait. So that it, it, the yeah. warranty had elapsed, so they were told to go home. So they probably binned them and bought new ones and now they're finding out that they can't get any compensation. We, we replaced during the pandemic, we couldn't get chain sets. So we couldn't get them a new one, same. So we sold actually quite a few Praxis chain sets instead. Is, is this likely to be an issue for bike manufacturers? So actually like, um, you know, your Specialized and your Scots and your Cannondales of the world, like what happens in this scenario? Well, uh, you're still going to go to a bike shop to get it fixed rather than... Pre, pre this, this information we got, that's what I was thinking, thinking that OE is a completely different beast to... So essentially, Shimano sells directly to brands like Specialized, Giant, all the big ones. Um, and then they sell through distributors to shop, which is aftermarket. Um, the OE brands must be paying a lot less for the group sets because you look at some bike brands, you go out there, a frame set costs an 1,800 quid, and then you can get a full bike with 105 on it for an extra 150 pounds. Um, so, yeah, how do they... Do, do they just pass it on saying this warranty site is your problem to deal with, not ours? So, from what I can that? tell, yeah, but now obviously now they've they've taken it's everything. They've not said, uh, is it on a bike or did you buy it aftermarket? Did you buy it through Madison or did you buy it in Australia? It's becoming a worldwide problem. So I'm assuming you could have bought one in America, moved to the UK, use the UK system, or vice versa. Um, yeah, it's essentially which is good. Uh, they, they, they've done well. I mean, you can't fault them for that because it could have easily just said that it's. No, it's a great import. Go back to where you got, got it from. Yeah, from, I think because yeah. it's a safety issue, they yeah. just can't afford to do that. From what I can tell, if you have a look at the barcode on the back of your crank and it's one that matches these affected codes, mm. you can go to any authorised Shimano dealer. And because Shimano is covering the bill for the bike shop owner and the customer, you can just go anywhere and get the, it fixed. This is where small bike shops are going to win for so, once, which has not happened in a very long time. Online, they sold loads of stuff. You cannot take your bike back to Wiggle. They're not going to be inspecting it. Where it's going to have to go to small bike shops. Small bike shops are going to get the money off the back of this. Um, and luckily, customer can't blame them because they didn't sell it to them. They will be somewhere sold. But obviously, nobody sold Shimano thinking this was going to be a problem. They didn't sell it thinking, it's not like one of your Chinese groups that you guys order in. You can convince <laughs> somebody to do that and they leave a snaps off on the first ride. Um, I, th I think my yeah. final thoughts on this are if... You have one of these cranks that's affected. Uh, don't be angry with the bike shop that you take it to if they don't have loads of information and they're not able to change it straight away because they don't have the resources to do that. Be patient. Uh, support your local independent bike shop and don't take it out on them. Um, and hopefully Shimano are going to deal with it quickly and effectively and everyone will be back on their bikes and riding safely. Moving on to a potentially controversial topic. Uh, once again, we are going to talk about Specialized because they like doing really... Uh, Hyperbolic. Say, fun things. No, they've just got a very active marketing team. They have. So they get paid a lot of money to do good work. Specialized have just released, uh, in quotes, the world's lightest gravel bike. It's called the S-Works Crux. <laughs> 
The Crux has <laughs> for a long time been their cyclocross bike, which now has basically rebranded into a gravel bike. Um, it claims that it's the lightest of its kind with a frame weight of 725 grams and a complete build of 7.25 grams. It has clearance, it, uh, 7.25 kilograms. It has clearance for 47 mils on 700s and 2.1 inch tires on 650Bs, which is the same as the Diverge. And it starts, oh, it has a price of £11,500. That's a SRAM Red though, so... That is SRAM Red, isn't it? Yeah. That's uh, I mean, <sighs> several things off this topic. Firstly, does this mean cyclocross as a bike design is dead? Obviously, cyclocross yes. will happen, but yeah, because they're not doing... I mean, everybody's dropping it. I think Ridley is probably one of the only brands that's still effectively making cyclocross bike. Kinesis, who was big in the UK for cyclocross bikes, even they do a GX race now. It's a gravel bike. You can still do, you can, don't get me wrong, you can still do cross on it, but they've made them less twitchy, short, uh, longer wheelbases. It's all a dual bike. Um, so two things on this. The lightest gravel bikes of its kind. I just, I just don't get it. Don't get it at all. 725 grams for a frame set. That's lighter than most road bike frame sets out, of the, out there. How do you make a frame lighter? Use less, less carbon. carbon. Now, it's gravel. Gravel is... Inherently, depending on how bad you are, obviously, gravel I do is really bad. You don't do gravel, you do mountain biking. Yes. You do mountain biking on gravel bikes. But, see, I would look at this thing, 2.1 inch tire clearance, perfect. So they've done that really well. The tire clearance is excellent. Um, I would have preferred to see 700 by 50, because I think that's where it's going. But 47 is still great. 650B by 2.1 is right up my street. But then I would be too nervous to ride the bike. Um, I rode Rob's Envy Mog the other day, which is a very durable bike lovely but it it scares me in terms of how i'm just worried about snapping the bike so yeah uh i just don't think the weight makes it um, my gravel bike for instance it's titanium it's heavier but it's 8.7 kilos as soon as i put my lights my bags and all the rubbish i put on it every single day um it's closer to 13 kilos it's just the, the lighter just doesn't make a difference in gravel specifically um, and yeah, uh, I'm just worried. Like you're taking carbon away where it most likely is needed. Most people race gravel or ride gravel don't weigh 50 kilos. They'll be heavier. I, I guess if you were performance focused, because the, the gravel racing is now like an actual thing, you know, it's yeah. big uh, or, it's, or it's very much growing and there's lots of people out there which will be thinking about doing gravel events rather than a sportif for example um and if you're that kind of person that way inclined and you want to you know finish in the top 30 percent rather than the bottom 30 percent you might be thinking about well i want to be light i want to not load my bike up with stuff if i you know like crit racing like people do fourth cat crits on fifteen thousand pound race bikes which is the most terrifying thing in the world because inevitably you're going to crash and it's kind of the same thing here it there are people which will want a really light right a really lightweight gravel bike however i am forever challenging whether aero is important and whether weight is important I, and i do I, not think either are i completely get what you're saying there lighter and if you've got the money buy the bike i mean it's, it's your money spend it however you want to spend it but don't be 
confused and thinking by buying a slightly heavier bike, you're going to be slower. Uh, I had this argument with James who works in the shop. He races for a pro Conti team and does really well. Um, and he's been doing quite a few gravel races on Francis's bike. That's Scott, which is also really light. Um, skinnier tires to grow and faster. And, but you look at the gravel, um, the, what did they, they had the world champs qualify up here, the Graloch. And the fastest guy over there from Enios was uh, finished 34 kilometers an hour. So it's, it's fast, but it's not aerodynamics where people talk about 40 kilometers plus fast. And that's a couple of riders. I think second place was almost two kilometers an hour slower than him. So aero, like you said, doesn't play in. The weight's one thing, but one of my mates, Jesse Yates, who's co continuously coming top 10 in quite a lot of gravel events against big names, he's riding on a titanium bike with big tires. So the, uh, most of these events are quite long. They're not an hour long like cyclocross. They're usually going to be out there for three, four plus hours. So being comfortable, I think, is going to be more of a thing than just the weight. And the other thing is, once again, is if you don't have confidence in your frame not snapping, you don't ride the same. You hear of a lot of old people that raced back in the early 2000s now riding carbon saying like sprinting-wise they're worried. And I know it's not an actual issue, but they're worried mentally about the bike snapping, even though it won't, with this, yeah, does that have an effect? I, I like riding my titanium bike because I know when I go down something crazy, it's just not going to give out on me. And I know the carbon probably won't either, a good quality, heavier carbon frame, um, but it's just, it's just, but in, it's just in your mind yeah. and it slows me down. What about carbon wheels though? Because you ride carbon wheels. Carbon wheels are stronger than, no, stronger than alloy wheels. What about, I was going to say carbon seat posts, but you ride a dropper. A dropper post, yeah. Because that's the kind of riding you do. That's the kind of gravel you do. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's a drop on mountain bike probably. But yeah, it's inherently, the problem is that gravel is road bike orientated. And it's not like mountain bike companies are developing it. And specialized, I might be completely wrong on this, but I'm going to assume it's their road division that's, devi that's developing their gravel bikes, not their mountain bike division. They'll have different people for these kind of things. And back in the day, people just used to think that Fast gravel, you're going to need a lighter bike. Tire clearance doesn't matter because people are still going to ride skinny tires. And they're probably the first ones just going, okay, well, let's make the bike light and big tire clearance. So cover all the bases. And it's, it's marketing. It's purely marketing. It's why we end up talking about specialized bikes a yeah. lot because their, mic, their marketing is so hyperbolic in terms of the lightest, the best, the everything. Cannondale as well. Yeah, yeah but I, I mean, what else do you expect? But also it just shows that the gravel bike space generally is so so huge now that why wouldn't someone do but, the lightest yeah. step because someone's going to want it we, we can sit here and knock it all day long <laughs> but they sell a lot of bikes yeah so it works yeah, i mean these people are getting paid and they, they're not getting paid to give people good info they're getting paid to sell more bikes that's that's the job mm -hmm. and they're doing it well so i mean good on them i just like say it's Another thing, 725 grams, say, let's say against most of the other frames that will be, the light ones will be 800 to 900 grams. Uh, a good set of gravel tires, a 2.1 inch is going to weigh 800 grams a tire. Then you can buy like one with a thinner carcass where you're probably going to slice it up more with uh, sharp rocks and that'll be 600 grams. So you save 200 grams a tire there. So that's 400 grams lighter, meaning you can take that bike and add 400 grams to it, just different tires. Do I guess if if you've got a larger volume tire, are you putting more sealant in it? Yes. And also people panic. So they put sealant in and then an event comes up. It's been two or three months. They've, they've been told they need to top up the sealant and they just put more sealant in. I had a guy come into the bike shop the other day with 
I think it was a litre of sealant in each wheel. Each? Which is the t- yeah, it was, I don't know how he's done it. He must have just been syringing in. So if you, if you take a wheels round, like the, the bottom third of the tire, the wheel was just full of sealant. Well, there we go. He's, gonna, um, he's not going to yeah, get a puncture. It, yeah, but it would ride terribly as well. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, there's, a, there's a lot of things. I think ultimately what we're getting at is there's so many things about the gravel space that is inherently not light that spending a premium amount of money on a bike that is 500 grams lighter or a frame that's 500 grams yeah. lighter, it just seems like a waste of money. The other topic to broach with this, obviously I'm biased because this is what we do as a shop, but 11,500 pounds for a gravel bike. You don't get to pick your tires. You don't get to pick your saddle. You don't get to pick your bars, your stem. You don't get to pick your gear ratios. Your geometry. You don't get to pick anything on this bike. So you're paying 11,500 pounds. Almost every single person out there has got different tire preference. So instantly changing your tires. Now, a good set of tires for this level of bikes is going to cost you £70 a tire, plus getting it set up, tubeless, plus sealant and all these things for a bike shop. So all of a sudden, you've bought this and you have to pay money on that. You want to change your handlebar tape. You want to change your uh, stem length, possibly, your bar width, uh, your saddle. So all of a sudden, it's, it's not £11,500. It's you're going to be adding quite a bit of money to that just to get the bike the way you I will be honest, though. Wanted. Specialized bikes do look great. Oh, it's a pretty bike. That yeah. was what I thought as well. Oh, it does look yeah. good, doesn't I want, it? I want that yeah. bike. I'm never buying that bike, but I, that, they just always look good. What it really needs to be is if 11 and a half grand seems like a lot of money to you, it's definitely not worth investing in something that you're going to throw around. It's going to get rocks, you know, flip up off your wheel and then hit it and stuff like that chipping it to bits exactly whereas if 11 and a half grand is somehow pocket money for you then first of all good for you but also <laughs> then go for it why not do two bikes then though use that one for your dirty reavers your like smooth gravel rides and then you get yourself something a bit more durable for like a custom steel one like my howler yes or titanium or titanium which i mean i smashed through a brick wall with my titanium one. broke my <laughs> arm but the actual frame was still okay even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. And that does lead us quite nicely onto the big question for this episode, which is... What's the next big trend in cycling? And I believe you have a theory on this. Yes. So obviously it's been aerodynamics for quite a while now. Um, The new thing is vibration loss. And I think that's going to be much, much, much bigger than aerodynamics. Aerodynamics in the past focuses on professional cyclists. This will help them as well. But vibration loss will actually have more gains in amateurs, slow people. The older I'm getting the more of an issue it is. So I'm I'm going to guess that vibration loss is making your ride more comfortable, not focusing on geometry. Yes. 
Geometry is important. That's a separate. That's a separate factor. thing. Though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, geometry is how comfortable you're on the bike. But you could be the most comfortable person on your bike, have the perfect setup. If your bike is rattling you around, if you put wooden wheels on your bike with no tires, obviously that's an extreme example. Or uh, <laughs> tennis tires. Yeah, yeah. Your your position might be comfortable, but you won't be comfortable. Um, and that's the thing. So originally it was just purely about comfort. So the longer you ride, that you're not feeling fatigued by essentially getting rattled around. My, my analogy I've used in the shop with people before is that if you take a car from where we are up north in Newcastle, uh, let's say an old style 90s Mini Cooper S, and you car. drive down to a uh, great car and you drive down to London in it at 70 miles an hour. Not possible. The speed limit. But if let's say four you, speed gearbox. But let's just say you did. Um, and then got out of the car and somebody else, or you had a, a clone of yourself, body double, and he drove down or she drove down from Newcastle to London in a modern Mercedes-Benz E-Class or S-Class, one of the big comfy ones, at the same speed, you'd be a lot less tired when you get there because of vibration and how you're getting rattled around. The other thing that you also get is, which I think is a big thing in cycling, especially with journalists, is that you'll feel like you're going much faster in the Mini than you will do in the Mercedes-Benz or like a Rolls-Royce. So certain bikes vibrate, they're stiffer, they're harder, you pump your tires harder, and all of a sudden your bike's a bit more twitchy and you just feel like you're going faster. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're going faster. And there's companies like Zip, they've done tests on all of this. But I love the feeling that you're going fast, even if you're not. Oh, that's so, fine. So that's something that I, I think is really, well, for me, is really important about road bikes, yes. is I don't actually care about going fast. That's I don't care if it's light. I don't care about if it's aero. But when I'm riding it, I want it to be exciting. But yeah, for the first hour. But after that hour, when you start, your body starts well, getting I tired. Well, I don't ride over an hour because well, it's, it's too hard. That's perfect for you. I would go back to 23 <laughs> millimeter tires and pump them up to 145 PSI yeah. and go wild. Yes. I do think this is interesting because I'd say I've spent a large part of uh, probably the first eight to 10 years of riding bikes properly. Like I was so obsessed with um, the feel of the bike. You know, I wanted it to be fast and nippy, but it never actually means that you are going fast. Yeah. And I have always found, I've always found going long hard. Yeah. And it's probably, I've, my, my gut instinct is that this would have helped me ride further when I wanted to. Yes. But this is something that's been happening for quite a while. Nobody's actually using the term vibration loss. No, yeah. Firstly, yeah. from our previous thing, Specialized made the tires much bigger, which is really good for that. But um, those marketing companies aren't using it yet because it's a very, very difficult thing to actually talk about. Aerodynamics, I can say, you're saving this many watts because I've done wind tunnel testing and things like that. And that's got to do with the size of an average rider where speed um, and a lot of aspects influence this. So it's much harder to kind of quantify and much harder to sell in that sense. But uh, you can already see tires Tires have gone from 23 mil to 25, and now they're saying 28. They're starting to up it to 30 millimeter tires. Um, and that extra speed you're gaining isn't based of res uh, rolling resistance. It's actually, that's a small aspect. It's got to do with those bigger tires. You can run lower volume, sorry, high volume of air in it, so lower pressures, which essentially negates vibration to some extent and makes you faster. So are you saying things like Cannondale's Topstone 
and specialized Roubaix, maybe? The ones that have, so the Roubaix has got little springy. So, yeah, so it's suspension stem, yes. Um, there's, uh, th- there's loads of stuff how you can reduce vibration on your bike. Obviously, tires is the easiest and cheapest tire pressure. Are you pressure. saying that that specialized Roubaix and the Cannondale top stone are then actually really good bikes that are possibly I would go better further, than ones like something that, a bike that I've really not liked, but if you go back to it, something like the old, they've done it go wrong ways. Cannondale's is lefty. Oh, okay. Are they, what's the, um, this is actually an out overrated, underrated lefty <laughs> forks. They, they did a gravel bike. Uh, I can't remember the name of it now. But uh, anyway, it had a lefty fork on it. And if, if anything, that probably should have made it faster. I didn't mind the suspension bit of it or the top stones pivots in the back. It's the, it's loads of other things that I had issues with on the bike. Yep. But yeah, but those aspects of it is really good. Um, redshift, suspension stem, suspension seat post. It's just makes it better. That, you, can, you can go way further into this. You can talk about Ario Tomasini, who's been making frames in Italy for 60 something years. And he talked back in the day saying a lot of the pro pelotons crashing these days because um, vibration. So when they're cornering, and the bounce, your bike's bouncing on the road, very like small millimeters and it's micro things. But essentially every time it's bouncing, it's not gripping the tarmac fully. But you, so, I, you were telling me about this earlier and you were saying because the carbon bikes are so stiff def, and the yeah. wheels are so stiff. And the tire pressures are so too high. Yeah. And hard that actually it's juddering around when, when around they're the corner. corner. Yeah. So you're losing, you're losing traction. This is where our mountain bike suspension comes into play. So they're improving the way the pivots and the actual setup of the suspension is made so that they can kind of corner much harder but also on the bumps the, the bikes in the con- tires contacting the ground better mm. so have you seen some slow-mos of mountain bikers taking fast yeah, what do they call them burns. burns yeah yeah like burns, hammering yeah. it around those and you see how much the tire compresses and spreads Spreads, and almost looks like it's about to like Uh, um, flip off a roof. Bianchi did this i think 2014 or so they they released this whole counter veil thing and i said it's a big thing for their time trial bikes because you could now corner on the top of the bike, like oh, sorry, on the top of your aero bars, because you can hold on to that when you corner, because you've got less vibration. And that, that had purely uh, in the carbon fiber, had a dampener in, something which steel frames and titanium for years and years have been doing, because it dampens vibration. So it makes the bike more comfortable in that sense, which in essence, even though it's a heavier bike, to some extent makes you faster. Yes, you have a, an issue with some of them where they flex a lot, so you lose power. Uh, but there, there, there's, there's crazy statistics out there. Um, don't have it written down yet, but I know people talk about like the cobbles in Paru Bay mm-hmm. and say to to travel at 35k an hour for somebody that weighs, I think the full system weights a bike and rider 92 kilos, which is the average kind of weight um, of a rider and a bike and the pro peloton doing the classics. Uh, you'll need 339 watts to hold 35k an hour on the cobble sections. But as soon as they get into the velodrome on the smooth surface, that drops by almost half down to, I think it's about 170 watts with the power needed to hold 35k an hour. That's monstrous, monstrous savings that you're having. Um, yes, those are the two extremes from the smoothest to the roughest. But uh, uh, SRAM's done a, a test as well where they've tested tire pressures. <sighs> Becomes complicated, but they say same wheels, same rider, uh, 90 PSI tire versus the same tire, same condition, same speed, but dropping your tire pressure to 30 PSI, 
um, will in essence save you 48 watts. And this was on a road surface yes, as yeah, well. Yeah, uh, like rough road surface. Yeah, yeah, we've been talking about, it's easy to see the application in gravel yeah. or mountain biking, but actually if you think about like buttery smooth tarmac mm. feels lovely the to rest. ride on. Where so versus yeah. any other road surface, you will actually get well, vibrations. You, with you get the contrast. You go on roads up here, and it's perfectly smooth. They've like resurfaced road. You ride, and it's perfectly smooth. Then all of a sudden, there's just a line, and it's you go over back to a rough surface, and you can instantly feel how much harder you have to work. So, so you're actually saying you're suggesting that if your setup can absorb more vibration, i.e., it doesn't pass as much through to you you actually need to produce less watts for the yes. same speed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, th this becomes a bigger thing. There, there, there's the, there is the aspect of, you can negate it slightly. The faster you go, the less vibration it affects you. So once again, professional cyclists, this is a problem we're going to have because everything we get, aerodynamics, all technology in the world, lighter bikes, all of this, is trickle-down effect from what the pro peloton, will Tour, Tour de France, all of them are doing. So they do something, they pass it on and they sell it to us older, not as skinny blokes. Um, but it doesn't have as much effect. Like most aerodynamics, they talk about 40 kilometers up. There's gain still for people slow, but it's not as much. Or you can talk about bearings. Sorry, I'm digressing. But uh, Enduro bearings have done a test with a good quality, basic alloy, uh, sorry, chromium steel bearing uh, that'll cost you three, four pounds versus a top of the range ceramic speed bar, uh, bearing. It's only one watt. We're talking 43 watts over here by change. sorry, 48 watts by changing your tire pressure. It, it, it's, it's massive. So talking about pro peloton, the faster you go, so they, they, they analyze all, and it works. If you, if you hit the cobbles and you hit it at full whack, full speed as fast as you can, it will be less harsh than going slower. But obviously most people that buy bikes can't go into the cobbles on the Paru Bay and hit that at 40k an hour. I want to try yeah. and work out how to test this because the, the bit that really fascinates me is that you might actually legitimately need less power to go the same speed yeah. based on a setup that's just more comfortable. Yeah. Because you, the, I guess, I, I, I guess I, the bit that's hard to understand is that most people will think, well, if if there's sponginess, if there's softness, if wheels are sprint spongy and stems and things yeah. are spongy, then that is lost energy transfer, no. which has always been like the theory, isn't mm -hmm. it? Like with shoes, you know, like cycling shoes became so unbelievably uncomfortable because it's like, well, you want to be able to transfer every possible mm -hmm. watt from your body into the pedal so that it goes into the drive. Train. It's basic physics. So like, Newton's laws, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So I get what you're saying, but that, that's true in terms of you want stiff cranks, you want stiff shoes. But you need to remember every power you put through, there's going to be something back. So what is, what is, what is your source on all of this? Because it currently sounds like you're studying a PhD in <laughs> no, well, astrophysics no, or something. Uh, well, there's loads of reading material. Zip's doing a lot of testing on this at the moment. Yeah. Um, so if you go onto Zip's website and I just type in vibration loss, It'll come up. There's loads of white papers that explain about everything. Um, but the biggest thing with this is that, that I'm trying to get across is this doesn't affect only the pros. This is something for your average person, meaning when you and I ride and we, we're struggling to go at 30 kilometers an hour or 18 miles an hour, that has a massive effect, even more so than somebody riding at 45, 50 kilometers an hour like they do in the pro peloton. Um, 
where aerodynamics is big over there for them and almost nothing for us. Where this is this is an every like the normal person problem. Vibration loss. And then like you say, what you've just said, spongy ties and things like that. That's just a perceived thing. It's perception. The fatigue point is really interesting because yeah. you know, you, you said it, you know, you don't you get uncomfortable over an hour. I feel it as well. I like going for a blast, but I couldn't keep up that pace for a, or sustain that effort for a long time. And it's interesting because like bike fits have become much more of a talking point, aren't they? And that's to try and make you feel more comfortable on a bike over a long amount of time. Is it positional or is it the fatigue you're getting from having your stiff shoes and your stiff, you know, being juddled around for uh, hours on end? I've had this problem because I've been riding for over 20 years and my position's fairly dialed in. Um, and I started with my road bike, same length top tube, same stem, same setup. And when I got my first gravel bike, I duplicated perfectly. So I still had 120 mil stem on there, um, quite slammed down and was comfortable on the road. I started doing more and more gravel, longer rides. and I was getting this mega pain in my back, my neck. Uh, everybody said, well, go slightly shorter and higher. So I ended up going from 120 to 100, 100 mil stem. I even tried a 90, I went back to 100. And then I've gone up probably about two centimeters up, um, but it's still there. It was a massive problem. It wasn't getting much better. The more I rode, the longer I got fitter and more conditioned, it was less of an issue. So for Dirty Reaver this year, I actually had a six-month training program just to get myself conditioned, not to worry about the distance, but can my body actually get around the 200-kilometer ride without being tired? Um, recently, I switched to this stem. So I've been riding a lot less this year, um, but I got that rock shocks, sorry, um, redshift uh, suspension stem. And since riding with that, neck pain has been completely gone. I find it hard to believe that one product can make that much of an instant difference. But that doesn't mean to say it, it doesn't. I think what I want to do is work out how we can test this, this space more. Because I, for me, this more comfort on a bike, mm -hmm. I say it all the time with people getting into cycling. If you, if you buy a road bike, and it's uncomfortable. This is why I go, I, I go on about gearing as well, as well, uh, a lot as well. If you don't have enough gears, if you're uncomfortable, if it's too long, if it's too harsh, all of these things, you're not going to want to ride a bike again. Yeah. Whereas I always push the idea of have more gears, make it easier to go up yeah. hills. You don't need to go really fast. Don't worry about weight. Focus more on comfort because ultimately as someone which has an interest in cycling and the like cycling as a whole as a mode of transport i want more people to ride bikes and the best way to get more people riding bikes is every time they're riding Enjoy. bike they get off the other end and they go that was really fun yeah. rather than the amount of times that i've got off a bike on the other end and being Never like do it again. everything hurts my yeah. neck is my neck's ruined my back's ruined my legs are ruined everything's just horrible and uncomfortable and most of that's my own fault from thinking that making the wrong decisions, thinking that actually I need 120 PSI in my race tires and 120 mil stem and to be super aero and really long and stretched out and in a horrible position. This is what I keep trying to tell people. Forget about what the professional peloton is doing. Those guys are getting paid to ride bikes. They're there to entertain us. They, they get told what to ride. It's mm -hmm. not Very few of them have options on anything. And just because they're doing it doesn't mean it's going to work for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't mean it's the fastest yeah, for the rest of us. Yeah, it's not fastest either. Some stuff will make them a lot faster, but it'll make you slower. And some stuff will make you faster, 
won't work for them because they already ride too fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's important. Um, I I think yeah. this is a really interesting topic, and it's something that I definitely want to explore. Just watch more. it Pers- like yeah. personally explore more, and and like in a road s- setup because it's not something that I would normally go. Oh well, you know, I want more comfort on a road, yeah. but of course I do. I actually used on a video I made of Francis previously. I've used the Redshift stem and seat post on a carbon road bike, and I was so we I rode that road bike with like 25 mil tires off road and it was more comfortable than gravel bikes that I've ridden. And on that note, let's move on to my absolute favorite section of the podcast. Your first one of these is time for another round of overrated or underrated. I'm going to read out a list of things and you're going to tell me if they're overrated or underrated. The first thing we're going to start with lefty forks, which is a Cannondale product, which is a, a, a one-sided suspension fork. Is an option of saying overrated and underrated? No, it has to be one or the other. You can if you can explain it and justify it, I think. Okay, so I'd be interested to know. Uh, forks, suspension forks, underrated, lefty forks, overrated. It's just, it's one of those things, the cycling industry, they're making something that's not needed. You need a suspension. Cannondale could just use a normal fork. Fox makes ones. Uh, MRP makes them, RockShox makes them, Olin's makes them, all of, just use one of those. Stop making something that's proprietary just to your brand, which you need special wheels and special everything to set it up to. Does that, it make it cheaper? If you use the other stuff, yes, it'll be cheaper than Lefty. Lefty Fork's not cheap. You think it would be, it's less. It's half the parts. Exactly, but it's... I mean, Do you I mean cheaper to produce or cheaper for the customer? Well, I would, I would assume for both. I mean, I don't know the I don't know the numbers in this because I don't sell them. How much does a suspension for a normal suspension fork? Anything cost? from three hundred and fifty quid upwards. You can get for good quality. I'm talking Rockshox, Fox kind of level stuff. Um, you can get cheaper ones. So I, I, there's two lefties here. Both of them are on Merlin's. Obviously, both Cannondale. Yeah. There's one that's four hundred and seventy-five pounds, and there's another one that's seven hundred and fifty. Yeah, so they're not cheap. It's only half a fork, so it should be half the price. I am going to say they are overrated. Because so we've agreed about something for the first time ever. I don't personally care about suspension forks okay. yet. Therefore, I think they're overrated. Uh, the next one, oh, don't talk about this for four years, please. I'm not gonna. Ceramic jockey wheels. Underrated if people knew why. Overrated for the reason most people are buying it. Most people buying ceramic jockey wheels are buying them for speed and to lose. To, to save what? I think in that sense, it's completely overrated. I agree with that. Um, underrated in if you have really good quality ceramic jockey wheels, ones that won't weigh out, which there's very few of, um, your shifting will be better much longer. So essentially, if you're buying them to have durability, to not have corrosion, not have rust, and just to spin smoother, and if they didn't weigh out, it just means you're shifting because your jockey wheels essentially determines whether your bike shifts well or not. You can have the best setup, electronic, everything, with Warner jockey wheels. Your gears aren't going to work very well. But surely you can buy steel or whatever they they are, jockey wheel bearings for like a couple of quid. No. You steel because steel will rust. So what, what, well, whatever they're normally made of. What are they normally made chromium of? Chromium steel. Yeah. So the cost penny. Normal jockey wheels. Use chromium steel bearings. So, so presumably a ceramic jockey wheel would cost you lots of money. A non-ceramic one would cost you... Pennies. Very little. Yeah. So surely, depending on your group said no, because certain groups said, but that's what I mean. It's 
No, so some ceramic jockey wheels or like OSPW from ceramic speed and cost you anything up to a thousand quid to add that. So yeah, so um, let's stick with overrated. I've got some new ceramic jockey wheels coming from my bike that can't weigh out. They can't corrode. It's, it's essentially... I could never, yeah. ever put this product as underrated ever. I just couldn't because... Uh, you could put underrated at wastage. I've, I've ridden a lot of bikes. I've had a lot of group sets and I think I've replaced my jockey wheels once on a bike and still I probably didn't even need to. Your shifting wouldn't have been great. But yes, you are right. It's probably the last thing that, that I would... I'll spend. talk about my own shifting, thank you. <laughs> I know how to shift a bike. <laughs> it, it, it's never been so horrible that I've even noticed uh, it. Uh, yeah. I think, on, I think a, a knackered chain... I on the flip notice. side, I go through about two sets of jockey wheels a year on my gravel bike. So you it's getting you to work point in a bike where, shop, though, so you just... You waste, just yes, but now... You waste I, stuff. I've got you, you're like, you know, like pro, pros, because yeah. they're like, you know, people go like, oh, but... They do this and they do that. Well, yeah, because they, they're constantly putting new cassettes on and new chains on and new brake pads in and new tires and new yeah, this. And new, no, and, I'm not doing it because I want to. It's, new bar yeah. tapes and all that. You're like bike no. shop people are the next rung down from that. I ran they have the same bar tape for three years. So. For ages. So it's just very easy for him to be like, oh, I'll just change them <laughs> twice a year. I've changed my, I've, I've, rid, I've, well, I don't change my stuff and you don't need to. And therefore, ceramic jockey wheels are pointless overrated. and overrated. Galistic Even if you need performance, don't care. Can I suggest, since this is our first guest on the podcast, is there anything that you would like to add to the overrated or underrated category? Oh, have you put him on the mo- like? Th- oh, we, I mean, you does, got does he know think. this? Does he no, know? No, no, you don't know. But I mean, like, take ten minutes if you want. We talked about it on Saturday. It's very controversial. Being South African, I think the most overrated thing in the world is mud guards. What? <gasps> yeah. That's that's needlessly controversial. Well, no, it's just like... You think they're overrated? Something like a good ass saver um, works well, keeps you dry. That is a mud guard. Yes, but like these full ones with the flaps to the ground. As a bike mechanic, it's just a nightmare working on bikes when there's mud guards. And oh, yeah, that's horrible to stuff. To Yeah, on. and it just kind of... Caught, and I think because of that, I've gone so far the wrong way that I absolutely hate mud guards um even you get bike manufacturers saying these mud guards are specifically developed to go on their bike and the mud guards just don't go on those bikes easily you, you can you can botch a mud guard but if you if you have to botch because i've fitted a few over the years you'll end up botching them and they just don't they're not actually on right they're the angles are wrong they're kind yeah. of up on one side down on the other but they work and as someone that commuted in london a lot all year round in all weather, mud guards. Having mud guards is just like a commuting godsend. Or if you I do suppose. winter group rides. It is true though. Sometimes you go I mean you you always fit mine, so this is probably testament to your work, but you end up going over a bump and then it just skews to the side and it's got to go catching on your wheel the whole time. I feel attacked. And specialize in Cannondale and Canyon and all these brands that come up with all these like really wild things that nobody needed. The redesign headsets and the redesign chain sets and wheel dishing and all things. please can those three companies just come together and redesign the way mud guards go onto bikes <laughs> and come up with something that's that's new because everything else is being overdeveloped and mud guards are underdeveloped come up with a new way to fit them tailfin make me a mud guard and let's move up to fluff up of the week can i do this one you can do it if you want 
you messaged me to be here uh, 10 o'clock this morning, ready to do everything, but we only started filming at 1 o'clock because you forgot the memory cards. Producer Emily left the memory cards at home. I know. I think Jimmy's in charge on that. I think Jimmy's in charge. I, I have I like no reason to have I the like memory cards. I like how you blame Emily, but you and Francis ring me about once a month saying like, Nick, do you have any memory cards at the bike shop we can come and get from you? Meaning before Emily was here. Also not my problem. That is Francis's problem. People who edit have memory cards. Yeah. I don't do any editing for Cade Media. Zero editing and therefore I never have memory cards. But like, then shouldn't you be the sensible person over here, you know, to like... No, I've got other things to do. Oh, okay. Someone should be, if, if you're yeah. a producer uh, or an editor, if you're an editor, you have to So can we just blame Francis because he's not here? It is definitely Francis' fault. fault. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't even Because I mean, I suggested you buy a second set of memory cards to keep and you've just told me you've got 12 memory cards. Something and you like three. that, yeah. yeah. You've just bought three more this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's fine. I have big shoulders. I'll take the blame. The problem is, Jimmy, you packed my bag. It is actually my fault. I've got a new business idea. I'm going to invest in three really good memory cards and we keep them down at the shop. And then rent them to and us. And rent them to you guys, but I want them <laughs> back the same day. Right, on to, actually one of my favourite sections is listeners take over. And we have a question from Rhino. Rhino? Is, that, is this what, that is what Rhino he called calls himself. himself Rhino? Yes, or herself. Or herself, yeah. Themself. So, so Rhino says, I've recently bought a new Ribble 725 steel gravel bike and I love it. The bike is tubeless ready, but is supplied with tubes. I'm afraid that going tubeless will just mean more maintenance and being stranded on the roadside covered in sealant. I think that's a fair thing to be concerned about. For context, I don't race. I'm not really interested in speed, but I do enjoy spending over three, four hours in the saddle. My priorities would be comfort, reliability, and easy maintenance. Can you give me some advice about whether I should take the plunge and what are the pros and cons? Any advice would be appreciated. Before you wade in on this... Because I know you're going to have very definite opinions on it, being a bike shop guy uh, and someone which does a lot of this riding. My opinion on this is I love that Rhino's priorities are comfort, reliability and easy maintenance. That is me as well. Um, I think he should do it, but I think he should do it via a shop or via enough knowledge that he gets the right tyres, the right sealant, and learns how to do it himself because it isn't that complicated. But getting rubbish tires with rims that are not very compatible and sealant. rubbish sealant, it will it will be a bad experience. Whereas getting the right stuff will make it good and it'll work. But sometimes it will not work. But ultimately, the right stuff. Oh, and even the little wormy things. So if you do use a bike shop. Ask them for their recommendations. I'm sure Nick is going to have a very definite opinion on this. Go. 100% yes. Tubeless all the way for gravel. Um, we were against road tubeless up until recently, but it's all based on sealant. Um, all the sealants out there essentially work well for gravel because there's high volume tires, so your tire pressure is lower, so it doesn't need to be as good a sealant to seal the holes. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So on road, obviously, you run high pressures, so... If it's a road bike, only use the silica sealant. Um, nothing compares with it. It's not paid by them to say this. It just is better. Um, we run for gravel as well just because it's that much better for road. It's even better for gravel. Um, I have not plugged a single tire on my bike in over a year with a silica sealant. Is that the one that's got the bits in it? Yeah, the carbon fiber in it. Have um, you done that thing where people put like glitter in sealant? No, but I get the concept, but this is that. But better. But better. Because it, it forms like a nest. You can see photos online. We've right. seen it. 
But the big thing for me with tubeless on gravel bikes are that try it. If you don't like it, there's nothing lost. Just put your inner tubes back in. Well, it's messy, isn't it? I know it's messy, but it's it just works better. If, if it seals one puncture, it's one puncture where you didn't stop your bike and get off and take a wheel off and get yourself covered in oil on your chain and then having to get the the tie off the rim, getting the inner tube out, putting new inner tube in, making sure you find what's caused the puncture, otherwise it punctures again. It's just a lot of a hassle where on tubeless, I would say with a decent sealant, you're going to seal 80%. Eight out of 10 of all your punctures are going to seal. The ones that don't seal, you put a plug in. The ones where your tires cut in half, well, tube wasn't going to help you there either. But uh, if eight out of 10 punctures are sealing with tubeless, zero out of 10 punctures are sealing with inner tubes. So... Just try it. Uh, topping up, all of this is daunting. Tubeless has come a long way recently because a few years ago, you had bad tires, bad rims, bad sealant. And I'm not talking cheap. I'm talking Continental, Vittoria, the top wheel manufacturers, Mavic, all of them were doing it wrong. And then somebody came out and they made a standard, the ERTO standard. And wheels and tires have to be made to the standard to comply. And you can, you can thank Hookless for this, actually. And because of that... Um, Everybody started making the tires and the wheels to work very well together. So tubeless works better. And now with improved sealant over the time, because originally it was just stands and they made a good they made good stuff. But loads of companies that don't even like them, like Mokov, they make a decent sealant. Um, it works quite well, apparently. Uh, Lucas swears by it. But yeah, if you can afford the Silka sealant, do that. And then just learn how to top it up. Um, and it's top it hard. up regularly, Aaron, yeah, yeah. because you switched three, mine over, didn't you? And you said put a calendar reminder in for like every three months. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that costs money. But it's if it seals punctures, you're getting regular punctures. Topping up is nothing compared to what it's going to cost replacing inner tubes. The thing is about the worry about being stranded on the roadside covered in sealant. The thing is, like, you can't plan for every disaster eventuality that's going to happen no. when you're out on the bike ride. You can carry all the stuff and there's going to be something that happens and you still get stuck. You can't plan, plan for, for all eventualities. But if you carried an inner tube with tubeless, worst case scenario, put the tube inner in. tube back in. Yep. Invest in a good hand pump. Um, because oh, I do, I do love a hand pump. To put Top some air pump. back in, don't use CO2. I see it all the time on YouTube, everybody using CO2. CO2 and sealant do not go well together. You use CO2 as a last resort. But yeah, and then lastly, learn how to use either the little worms, like plugs, um, or Dynaplug. Dynaplug's a bit more expensive, but it's just easy. You don't have to think about it. You just pop it in and out. It costs a bit more money, but it's, yeah. Well, I hope that helps, Rhino. If you have any questions or stories, send them to wildonespodcast at cavemedia.co.uk. That's all for this episode. Join us next week when Francis will be back and that will mean Nick will not be talking at me for an hour. Uh, before you go, if you like this episode, please consider subscribing, following or leave us a review. It really helps grow the channel. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank Bye. you, Nick. Thanks a lot for having me. Bye-bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.